The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. It's Wednesday, November 22nd, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Last night, the former Minister for Justice and current Taunashta, Francis Fitzgerald, uh, stood up before the doll to give an account of a confusing story relating to Maurice McCabe, whistleblowers, the Gardaí, the kinds of issues which have led over the last few years to festering sores in Irish politics and in uh, Irish law and order, which have brought down at least two Garda commissioners, one Minister for Justice and arguably one Taoiseach as well and they just haven't gone away. Uh, How did she perform last night? I was joined in studio by Sarah Barden and Harry McGee to discuss this long and tortuous story to try and unwind the various strands and to try and figure out where we take it from here. First of all, I asked Sarah to set the scene and describe for us what was the O'Higgins Commission where this incident began. Well, in a nutshell, uh, Sergeant Morris McCabe brought allegations of garden malpractice to Fianna Fáil leader Micheál Martin. Um, a senior counsel, Sean Gearan, was then appointed to investigate these allegations and he made a recommendation that a commission of inquiry be established. That commission of inquiry was the O'Higgins Commission. Essentially, what it was tasked with doing was holding a series of hearings into the allegations that had been made about uh, by Morris McCabe about malpractice in the Cavan Monaghan uh, district. So who were the, the, the key protagonists then in terms of uh, testimony to that commission would have been the Garda Síochána and uh, Morris McCabe? Essentially, yeah, um, Mr. McCabe, um, the, the, the hearings were held in private and um, Mr. McCabe's allegations were aired there and the Department of Justice, the Attorney General and the, um, the Garda Síochána were the main kind of other participants in the O'Higgins Commission. Um, Because the hearings were held in private, we were somewhat, uh, we were unaware, I suppose, of how the O'Higgins Commission played out until May 2016, when a transcript of the the hearings became available through the Irish examiners, uh, Mick Clifford. Um, And what we learnt there was that there was a legal strategy um, pursued by the Garda uh, Shia Kona on the advice or the direction of uh, former Garda Commissioner Noreen O'Sullivan to question the integrity and the motivation of Sergeant Morris McCabe and that's essentially what's brought us really to the point we're at today. And I suppose it's important to say that that strategy seemed to contradict the public statements uh, both of Noreen O'Sullivan and indeed of Francis Fitzgerald who was Minister for Justice at the time. Yeah, at the time that the o- this strategy was being enforced at the O'Higgins Commission, Noreen O'Sullivan and Francis Fitzgerald were publicly declaring their support for Morris McCabe. However, behind closed doors, Noreen O'Sullivan was instructing her legal team to question his motivation and to allege that he was bringing these allegations um, or raising these allegations because he had a grudge uh, against members of the force. Um, Difficulty now is why there was such a 
public support for um, Morris McCabe when in private um, both the Taunashta and Noreen O'Sullivan seem to be seem to have been aware of the strategy to undermine him behind closed doors. And, and we've known for a while obviously since Mick Clifford broke that story in the Examiner that there was a disjunction between the public face of the Gardaí and their uh, private strategy but what has emerged over the last few weeks is that there was a greater knowledge, in fact there was a knowledge within the Department of Justice at the time of this strategy too. Why has that emerged now? Well, Labour TD Alan Kelly basically started asking questions as to the contact between the Department of Justice and Noreen O'Sullivan at the time the legal strategy was being enforced. Charlie Flanagan and his department responded to the questions but provided little information. Um, Then late on Monday night, a spokesperson for the Department of Justice contacted a number of members of the media, including myself, to say that Francis Fitzgerald had been made aware of the allegations or had been made aware of the allegations yeah, against Morris McCabe or the strategy as far back as 2015. Now, as far as we were aware, the first she became aware of it was in 2016 when the rest of us became aware of it. That's always been her um, that's always been her position. And that position was echoed by Leo Vrecker in the Dáil last week. Then on Monday night, we discover um, from the Department of Justice spokesperson that she actually became aware of it in May 2015. Then Frances Fitzgerald went on the radio yesterday and said that there had been an email sent to her by a Department of Justice official advising her of what she termed as legal clashes um, at the O'Higgins Commission. Um, we now know the content of that email, um, which was published by Frances Fitzgerald last night. And essentially what it says is that there was a uh, an attempt, uh, an order by the Garda Commissioner, former Garda Commissioner Noreen O'Sullivan, to introduce a complaint, a serious criminal complaint against Morris McCabe as part of its defence during the O'Higgins Commission. So um, the difficulty for Francis Fitzgerald is that on numerous occasions between 2015 and and uh, and today, she has said, first of all, that she was never aware of any serious criminal complaint being made against Sergeant Morris McCabe, but also that she only became aware of the legal strategy in May 2016, when we now have recorded correspondence, which was published last night, which would raise very serious question marks about the Donish's knowledge of those two key things. Now, there are a few strands within this, Harry, but maybe just to go, first of all, to this email, um, which I find rather confusing, um, but it's uh, it's communication from essentially from the from the Attorney General's office to uh, the Department of Justice and then onwards passed on to Francis Yeah, Fitzgerald. it's it's a little bit of Dortbian Lum Gnortbian Lehi. There's it's kind of second hand um, information. And you're right. It's not up there really with uh, Seamus Heaney. Uh, when it comes to rounding the thoughts. And it is confusing and it's not sure as to when they're referring to allegations, you're not really sure who's making the allegations and who's receiving the allegations. But essentially what happened was that somebody in the Chief State Solicitor's Office, which was representing Angorda Siakana and Maria, the Department of Justice, uh, at the hearing, uh, let somebody in the office of the Attorney General uh, know uh, that this strategy that uh, um, that Sarah was referring to had been raised. So essentially they were raising a red flag because, I mean, the reason they're telling it is because this is something new, something novel and perhaps something surprising. So uh, they duly informed an official from the Department of Justice who sent this email to another official of the Department of Justice and that was brought to the attention of the minister. And it wasn't brought to the attention of the minister because it was a standard, you know, um, uh, mundane email there was some substance to it and the substance was that, that there was a strategy being pr- pursued by the Gordish Yukona which was an assertive if not an aggressive uh, strategy. And there's also a reference to a serious criminal case. 
Now, Frances Fitzgerald said uh, last night that she read all her emails. So uh, she couldn't recall reading this one, but she presumed that she had. If she had... She must be one of the few people in Ireland who reads all their emails. She, she, she must be. But I mean, I'm sure not every single email that goes into the department is brought to her attention. But ones that are brought to her attention, this would, would have been one. Uh, she, she would have read it. But did she make any inquiry at the time as to what was the nature of this serious criminal case? Um, because she said she didn't become aware of it until a year afterwards. So obviously she wasn't curious uh, about the nature of, of the case. Uh, nor of this strategy being pursued by the Gorda Siakana uh, that, um, that seemed to be, as Sarah said, at odds uh, with its um, public uh, face. So uh, now right at the end, in fairness, there, there are a couple of things about the email that we must uh, take cognizance of. Uh, there are a couple of um, um, uh, half sentences and subclauses in parentheses in which they said that an assertion is made, but it is contested by Morris McCabe. So it's not saying, you know, that this this is 100 percent certain. Even the legal strategy, they said that legal strategy may be subject to change or it may be subject to further legal advice. So it's not been conclusive are definite, but at the same time, it's raising a flag. And perhaps she took too much comfort from the very last sentence, uh, which said that neither the Attorney General nor uh, the Minister for Justice has a function uh, in this. And this begs the question. This was something that was raised. Uh, it was certainly sent because they, the, the officials thought it was significant and should have been brought to the Minister's attention. The Minister didn't have a function in it. Uh, in an official sense. And of course, she can't go and start interfering with the strategy that's been pursued by the Gorda Siakana in a, tri- in, a, in a commission of investigation or interfere with the commission of investigation. But as Minister for Justice, qua Minister for Justice, the question, it begs, we don't know the answer to this. Could she have uh, contacted the, the Gorda Commissioner in a slightly more informal basis to ask, I mean, What's happening or here? Or would that have been very inappropriate? I mean, well, we the, don't the, know. The, these are questions which we don't, we don't know. Brendan Howland suggested last to. night that that could have been done that she couldn't have interfered with the work of the Commission. But as Minister, and because of her relationship with the, Gorda, with the, with the Commissioner of Angorda, Siakana, uh, she could have asked, at the very least, well, what's going on here? And that's something that will probably be uh, investigated and explored and tested uh, later uh, today. Uh, the other thing, uh, and Sarah referred to it in her, in her, in her uh, second article uh, this morning, was um, she found out last Thursday... Uh, that this 2015 email um, existed. But it took her until Monday evening uh, to inform the Taoiseach about it. And in, I found her um, explanation um, in the door last night to be unconvincing in this I, regard. I want to come back to what's happened over the last few days uh, in a moment, sir. But just to come back to this question of what was in the email itself and the minister's incuriosity uh, um, and decision not to take any action. Mm. Politically, that's probably quite understandable, isn't it? Um, whatever about, and presumably we'll see legal advice over the next few days about how appropriate or inappropriate her taking action would have been, whether it be a formal or informal action. But she might; it might have been politically the wisest action at that point. I think, you know, obviously in these circumstances, when an email concludes with, you know, you should not take any further action, that most ministers would probably accept the advice of their departmental official. But the difficulty with that line of defence is, is that the email contained reference to Morris McCabe. Morris McCabe had uh, raised issues that had led to the departure 
of a former guard commissioner, of a former minister for justice, of a former confidential recipient. It would have been politically wise for Frances Fitzgerald to have raised a red flag. And one of the things that she could have done, the Department of Justice was was represented at the O'Higgins Commission and having been notified of this legal strategy that was being enforced by the Garda Commissioner, she had legal representation and her department had legal representation to raise questions um, or to raise some curiosity as to why they were enforcing this strategy in an official way at the O'Higgins Commission. There is also the option, as Harry said, is the fact that the, the, the Minister for Justice was in regular contact with the Garda Commissioner and there is there was, I'm sure, opportunities for her to raise questions as to um, why this strategy was being pursued. And, you know, Frances Fitzgerald has relied a lot on that last line of the email with regards to her, the advice, you know, not to take any action. But, you know, that doesn't that doesn't shield her from criticism with regards to why she um, why she did not inform the doll of uh, the being receiving the email and why she didn't tell the Taoiseach about the email when he was forced to defend yeah, so her ju- last ju- Just week. to read out those words from the, from the email, neither the attorney nor the minister has a function relation to the evidence a party to a commission investigation may adduce. Yeah, the one thing that kind of struck me when I was reading it last night and again this morning is that there are uh, parts of the uh, email that are confusing and that are very hard to understand. And if I were... In that position, I, I at the very least would have been looking for some kind of a briefing saying, well, what's all this about? What case is this about? What are the, who's making this allegation? And against whom are they making this allegation? And those kind of three or four lines don't make anything clear. OK, we know that there's an assertive uh, stroke, aggressive strategy being pursued by Ngorda Siakana, but we don't know the nature of it. And I, I, I would have expected, perhaps, that she would have apprised herself of that information by by means of a briefing. I think it's important to say, Sarah, also that um, Morris McCabe says that what actually happened at this commission is rather different. Well, his um, his his reading of the email that was uh, published last night is that the contents are inaccurate. Um, he says that there was never a that the serious criminal charge that is referred to in the email was never introduced in the O'Higgins Commission, um, and he took great issue with Francis Fitzgerald referring to it um, in the public, in a public forum on the National Broadcaster um, during an interview yesterday at lunchtime and he's taken great issue with the fact that it was published and distributed um, to the media and to TDs last night because he spoke to Leo Varadkar last night and he said that the contents of the email were inaccurate. Um, Leo Varadkar read the email over the phone to him and Maris McCabe said that the contents were not true and that the transcript of the O'Higgins Commission, uh, which are, which is currently in the hands of Mr Justice Peter Geraldton, um, would prove that he is right that such a criminal charge was never sought to be introduced during the O'Higgins Commission. And I think, you know, again, that raises further questions about the relationship between the Taoiseach and Tanishtha because the Taoiseach was informed by Maris McCabe that the contents of the email, according to him, were inaccurate. Um an hour or so later, Francis Fitzgerald publishes that letter and at no point did the Taoiseach make her aware that Morris McCabe was challenging the contents of the letter. Yeah, and let's... Let, well, let, she, she, did refer, sorry, she did refer in her speech last night to the fact that the Taoiseach <coughs> had spoken to Morris McCabe. So I presume that, that she she knew about that? She uh, was asked, Paul Murphy, uh, Socialist TD, asked her, was she aware that Morris McCabe had uh, contested the contents of the email and she said that if there was discrepancies that would be something that she would discuss but she never said that the Taoiseach had informed her. Let's get into all, 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 all that now. Let's just park it, set aside 
aside the fact that Frances Fitzgerald is already not looking great in terms of her mature recollection of the existence of this email in the yeah. first place and questions which are still to be resolved about whether she took appropriate action at the time and bring this up to the present day. Um, why did this email surface on Thursday, first of all? Was that in reaction? That was in reaction to Alan Kelly's questioning. In the so, yes, yeah, so Alan Kelly was submitting a load of questions to Charlie Flanagan and they were getting very scant information. However, then it became a kind of more politically toxic interview or, uh, issue Sorry, when uh, Fianna Fáil leader Micheál Martin brought to the floor of the doll. Um, and what we've seen in, in, in previous circumstances is that sometimes it takes the Fianna Fáil leader to bring these uh, matters to public attention. But uh, Micheál Martin brought it to the floor of the doll. There was obviously a scramble then within the Department of Justice to collate all the information that they had with regards to this. Um, the department where she's not the minister anymore, but she's al- not, also. not the she's minister the anymore. So then she was actually away on a government business at the time. There was a phone call uh, exchanged between her and the Taoiseach on Wednesday where he asked her, you know, when did you become aware of this legal strategy? She assured him that she had no hand, act or part in it and that the first she became of it was when we all became aware of it in May 2016. The Taoiseach then went in and echoed those words into the doll. But he did say, you know, he couldn't be categoric, that he had just made brief inquiries about it. Then on Thursday, this email was somehow uncovered. Um, the Department of Justice briefed Atonish to the existence of the email, the fact that it was sent to her in May 2015 um, and read out the contents of the email to her. Um, then on Monday, a number of journalists were informed that an alleged dossier had been sent into the Department of Taoiseach and the Department of Justice with some uh, documentation that contradicted Leo Varadkar's version of events in the Dáil. So we all started to make inquiries um, about this the Department of Taoiseach and the Department of Justice uh, denied that such a dossier had been sent. But they then came back to say that Miss Fitzgerald had been made aware of the um, had been made aware of the the legal strategy as far back as two thousand and fifteen. Now, the existence of the email then didn't become known until about half ten on Monday night when uh, Katie Hannan referred to it on Claire Byrne. Only at that point did Leo Varadkar, the Taoiseach, become aware of the existence of the email. At half past 11 on Monday night, he got sent a copy of the email from the Department of Justice. He held conversations on Monday night with Francis Fitzgerald and Charlie Flanagan um, about the existence of the email. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall for those conversations. You and me both. Um, but, I, you know, there is serious questions as to why the Taunish that did not um, inform the Taoiseach in the the days between Thursday and Monday night as to why, as to the existence of the email, the fact that she had received it and the fact that he would have to correct the record of the doll because of, you know, partial So it's obviously a huge faux pas for any senior government minister to inform their party leader and Taoiseach of something which they then go in and inform the doll of and then that then proves to be inaccurate or incorrect or whatever you choose to characterise it. They become aware of that and they don't inform their party leader for a further, what, four or five days. I think it's even more serious in the fact that she's his tarnished You know, she's supposed to be his right-hand lieutenant. She's supposed to be, you know, Taoiseach and Tarnished are supposed to be, you know, like two peas in a pod, really, sharing all information that they have. And the fact that she didn't inform him and, and that he had to initiate the phone call to uh, Francis Fitzgerald on Monday night to ask questions about this, that raised serious questions about their relationship. Yeah, I, I, Donica O'Leary from Sinn Féin, I, I thought scored a good point last night when he challenged the Taunashtah on this during that session in the Doyle. And he basically said that um, uh, 
you were happy for the record to remain uncorrected until the media started poking around on Monday. And then Seems when to she, be the case, all right, doesn't it? Well, then when she gave her explanation, uh, she, she said she was away, which was in fairness. She's no longer the Minister for Justice, uh, which is in, fair, in fairness to her. But also she said that uh, she had waited um, over the weekend to see if other information would arise uh, that would be uh, relevant. And that is a kind of a cover-all explanation that is clearly a, a, a not week, adequate. A, a weak cover-all explanation. Like a that, a very it? weak one, in yeah. my estimation, a very weak one uh, indeed. And of all uh, her contribution last night, I found that to be the least convincing of all. And I think that the Taoiseach, um, judging by his body language uh, on occasion yesterday, uh, was not best pleased uh, by the manner in which all of this had unfolded. And I think he made that actually publicly clear during Leader's questions where he said that he could only rely on the information that he was being given by ministers. You know, he was accused of deliberately misleading the doll and he kind of put his hands up and said, look, I can only work with what I'm told. You know, essentially shifting the blame very much onto Francis Fitzgerald. And as Pat writes in his piece today, you know, he has... Leo Varadkar is already two steps ahead and he's trying to create distance between him and his tarnish there. Yeah, you, I mean, you referred to Pat Leahy's piece in, in in today's newspaper and, you know, this is now a major political issue, not the first political scandal to arise out of the problems with the with the Gardaí Síochána. There have been a few heads have rolled already, you know, senior political heads, including arguably a Taoiseach, as a result of all this all this um, toing and froing. Um, Pat talks about whether or not Francis Fitzgerald will survive this. And there is the possibility of a Sinn Féin motion of no confidence in Francis Fitzgerald coming up Mm -hmm. next week. And then the key question would be about Fianna Fáil and whether they would or would not um, support that. Pat has a great phrase at the end of his piece. It kind of sums up Irish politics, I thought. He talked to an anonymous Fianna Fáil TD who, who said, and I quote, she's a lovely lady but we all know the business we are in. And that kind of conflation of Daniel O'Donnell and Goodfellas kind of brings together uh, the kind of the game, the game that... The game that's afoot here. In, in, in Westminster, she could be very much a goner. The Pity Patel case from the last uh, couple of weeks is very illustrative uh, of that. But um, I've seen on quite a number of occasions at this stage, uh, ministers coming in ever saying, oh, God, they're in big trouble here. They're going to have to come in and give a personal statement. Sometimes they have been extraordinary in the personal statement and the, the, they've just put a line under it. At other times, controversy has kind of just trundled on. Uh, they found themselves facing more questions. But it's a rare occurrence in Irish politics for a, a minister to fall on their sword. And it has to be constant. It has to be more revelations. It has to be death by a thousand cuts. And if we look back at the, those who have resigned, uh, Alan Shatter in 2014, that came after a series of extraordinary allegations that came one after another. And he found himself in the centre of the storm. And that politically, uh, at, at at one stage, obviously, the Taoiseach then, Andy Kenny, took a calculation, you know, that he, he had he had reached the end of the line. If we look back to uh, the resignations, for example, of John O'Donoghue and Willie O'Dea, uh, they came at the end, uh, you know, I mean, there was, there, were, there was a big narrative and the narrative continued and fresh disclosures and fresh, fresh revelations uh, kept coming. I think she's in difficulty on this. I don't think, I think her, 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 uh, her uh, reputation will be uh, damaged and take a bruising uh, from this. But at this moment of time, I, I cannot see her uh, falling unless think, unless something else comes to light. I think given the precarious situation that the government is in, that if they lose the they effectively, you know, the government will probably fall. But I do think that Frances Fitzgerald is in a very difficult position in that she's the only minister to have to have faced questions like this 
you know, twice. We remember um, in the doll late in February holding a late night session to where she had to answer similar questions about her knowledge of the Tusla file on Maris McCabe. You know, fast forward a couple of months and she's back in the doll late at night answering questions about her knowledge of a legal strategy. Um, Isn't that as much as an illustration of how toxic the Department of Justice is for whoever holds the role as, as much as anything? Well, yeah, I think that, you know, Marie has a piece in the paper today just with regards to some of the testimony that was given in the doll last night. Apparently nobody rem- in the Department of Justice remembers getting this email, which is just not credible. I mean, as, as Harry has said, you hear you see the words Morris McCabe and a red flag or alarm sirens should go off in your head. This is a serious issue. Um, and it just didn't happen. Nobody in justice seems to have recalled that they got this email um, at all. So, you know, it, it is a it is a sign of dysfunction within the Department of Justice. Let us not forget that there is a disclosures tribunal underway into the smear, alleged smear campaign against Morris McCabe. One have, would have thought when this tribunal was established that the Department of Justice would have trawled through all their documentation with the word Morris McCabe in it and handed it over to the to uh, Peter Charlton, who is overseeing the disclosures tribunal. You know, that Tanisha, you know, waiting to see if any more information would be uncovered mm. from the Department of Justice over the weekend before she told the Taoiseach. The fact that there is and potentially could be more documentation that isn't in the hands of the people who are trying to uh, trying to get to the bottom of this alleged smear campaign by Maris McCabe shows that the Department of Justice is not functioning, has not been functioning since 2014 or sees a crisis and runs and runs the other way. And the dynamics for the for the current government then if you know as Pat suggests if, if Sinn Féin decide to propose a motion of no confidence I've seen some suggestions this morning that um, that Fianna Fáil for example there, there might be a logic in them taking a tougher position than they have on a couple of these issues in the past we're just come out, we've just come out of the, the party conference season there's a question of you know being more showing a bit more robustness I suppose on the, on the opposition benches I think benches. if Fianna Fáil had their way they'd support Sinn Féin's motion of no confidence they considered table and motion of no confidence in Francis Fitzgerald in February. They have, Jim O'Callaghan made it clear, the party's justice spokesperson made it clear last night that their confidence hasn't grown in any shape or form, that they still have um, a distrust of Francis Fitzgerald. But the reality is, is that the confidence in supply says, between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, that Fianna Fáil must abstain in uh, motions of no confidence. So if they breach that element of confidence in supply... Is that the end of it? We've had a number of minor breaches of confidence and supply, but I presume if they breach that element of confidence and supply, the whole thing goes tits up for want of a better word, and we're back on the we're back on the campaign trail. I just I just can't see it happening. I'm looking up my uh, legal dictionary just to see the uh, source of that particular phrase that was used by Sarah just then to describe. <laughs> The breakdown of the relationship it's, between... It's, 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 actually, it's, a, it's a constitutional phrase, Harry. It's yeah, a constitutional phrase. It. One that, if I were to use, <coughs> might get me in a little bit of trouble. But anyways, mm. we proceed. It very elegantly described the situation uh, in, it's very, an elegant government. in very stark terms. Yeah, essentially, I, I, I think that she, at the moment, to me, she looks like she will survive. But if something else happens, or if some other e- email comes to light or if she fails to adequately explain or adequately adequately communicate to her colleagues about what's happening, I think she will be in trouble. I think finally, Sarah, maybe this is the first major crisis of this sort to hit Leah Varadkar as a Taoiseach. Is it a kind of a, a testing moment for him to see how he does? In particular because of the subject matter involved, as we know, uh, when he was Minister for Transport, Leah Varadkar, uh, I suppose, started this trend of um, affection towards Morris McCabe up until that, up until uh, Leo Varadkar intervened, Morris McCabe was referred to as disgusting by the Garda Commissioner. 
Leo Varadkar flipped it. Um, Garda Commissioner, Martin sorry, Martin Callan, excuse yeah. me, referred to him as disgusting. And then Leo Varadkar flipped it a couple of months later by saying he believed that Morris McCabe was distinguished. And we all know the path that I suppose followed from there. So the subject matter on the individual concerned is something that Leo Varadkar used quite prominently when he said, you know, when he was in his leadership campaign, I stood up for whistleblowers. I, you know, I am the. And person. it suggested in in some quarters that that moment when he turned around and he said that about the Gardaí was the moment that he when he began on his path to successfully campaign. winning the leadership. Absolutely, yeah, that was the moment that a lot of people started to look at him in a very different light, and it is probably the the first step on the ladder. Um, and I think this is why it's particularly difficult for Leo Varadkar, but also. If we go back to the relationship between him and the Thornish, so when he appointed, reappointed her as Thornish, the, there was a lot of discontent within Fine Gael who couldn't believe that Miss Fitzgerald had been reappointed as Thornish by Varadkar. Now because? Because she had been involved in a number of Garda-related controversies and because we had seen um, a situation a number of months before he took over uh, in February when she was forced to take these questions all over again with regards to the two sort of file. She was basically she was too heavily involved in a load of Garda controversies and Fine Gael saw Leo Varadkar's election as a chance for a clean break with and an, you know, a break from the older leadership. So retaining Tonish the France Franz Gerald is tarnished. Although was she had so a not insignificant role to play in the in the leadership leadership campaign itself, didn't she? Her coming out of support and timing. Well, of I that think was, she came out at a very late, you know, oh, was it? juncture. So. She came out when he had his official launch, when practically, you know, everybody and anybody had come out and in, in so favour of. So she was just going the way the wind was she blowing. Was she she was essentially just, you know, following where the wind was blowing. But I think, you know, because Varadkar reappointed her as Tonish that you know, to the to a point point of contention by his Finnegale backbenchers, you know, now having to go out and publicly defend her for yet another Garda related controversy will prove quite frustrating for Leo Varadkar. But as Pat says, you know, he's already trying to create the distance between he and the Tonish there. Harry? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wasn't surprised um, that she was reappointed to cabinet because everybody who had been in the cabinet, you know, retained their position at the top table with the exception of Mary uh, Mitchell uh, O'Connor and maybe him retaining her as Tonisha, which came as a bit of a surprise to me, was perhaps a nod to the uh, Ancien uh, regime. And he's promised the younger generation of Finnegal that should the party return to government that we will see meaningful generational change the next time around. So I think... Um, Francis Fitzgerald and other senior ministers are probably getting uh, the last spin of, of the merry-go-round uh, at present. But is her uh, spin going to end sooner uh, rather than later? Uh, I think that uh, this has damaged her, uh, but I would repeat that as of now, uh, I can't see her falling on her sword. Well, we'll see what happens over the next week or so. Uh, thanks very much for joining us today. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks to Sarah and Harry for joining us this morning. Thanks also to our producer Declan Conlon and our engineer JJ Vernon. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or on your preferred podcast provider. You can also find us at irishtimes.com slash podcasts and take a moment if you can to recommend or share the show. Also, we do really value, value your feedback and your suggestions and you can mail them directly to me at hlinahan at irishtimes.com or you can very easily find me on Twitter. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening. 